Thank you, worship team. Hello, everyone. Glad that you could be here to worship with us this weekend. If you're joining us online, we'd like to welcome you too. You are every bit a part of our worship services this weekend, wherever you're worshiping from. And we're sure glad that you could join us as well. If you have been with us the last couple weeks, you know that we have been going through a series out of the book of Acts. And we are now up to Acts chapter 5. This is the last... um, message that I'll get to do. Pastor Marty comes back and he will pick up the next uh, two messages in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. So really looking forward to what he has to share. But this week we're going to get into Acts chapter 5 and we've titled this series The After Effects. And the reason that we've titled it The After Effects because it's the after effects of the Holy Spirit descending upon the church age and filling the disciples and early believers as God ushers in this new time period of the church age, which we still are in today, thousands of years later. And the after effects of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts and minds of believers are felt even today. So some of the things that we will read about today in Acts chapter 5 are good parallels for us and apply directly to our lives today just as they did back then. If you remember in Acts chapter 3, which immediately follows that day of Pentecost where uh, prophecies fulfilled and the Lord sends the Holy Spirit to be uh, with us and dwell among us. In Acts chapter 3, we read about Peter and John going to the temple and healing a lame man. And that sermon was about answers for the hurting people in our lives. And we do this by being disciplined in our prayer life, by using powerful words and being willing to accept whatever results God has for us. And last week we studied Acts chapter 4. And Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were called before the Sanhedrin, before the religious authority of the day uh, because they healed this lame man and speaking in boldness they were filled with the Holy Spirit which we understood to mean controlled by the Holy Spirit and uh, by being controlled by the Holy Spirit or filled by the Holy Spirit by spending time with Jesus and by testifying what they know to be true they had answers for the skeptics that were in their life in the same way you and I can have answers for the skeptics in our lives by being disciplined in those things by asking for God to fill us with his spirit by spending time with Jesus and also testifying about what we know for sure. So that leads us to this week, Acts chapter 5. And in this one, this is answers for the unhealthy or the spiritually unhealthy. You see, at different times in lives in life, whether it's us or whether it's somebody we encounter, we can become spiritually unhealthy. And other people that we encounter may become spiritually unhealthy. It may be a brother or a sister in Christ that has gone wayward or gone away from what they know to be the truth of Scripture. So how do we have answers for the spiritually unhealthy in our lives? I think to answer that, the first thing we need to do is look at what does it mean to be spiritually healthy? How does it look when a person is spiritually healthy? That's when we hold ourselves accountable to the pursuit of holiness. See, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have an accountability to try to become more like him. It's the holiness pursuit that we're in. We call this the sanctification process. Sanctification is a big word that we use in theological terms, and you probably know it means to be set apart, 
Sanctification means to be set apart. We set ourselves apart from sin. We set ourselves apart from destructive behaviors in our lives. And we set ourselves apart for the work of Christ Jesus. And we are sanctified when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because Jesus Christ dying on the cross, his blood sanctifies us. It makes us set apart for God's holy work. But there's also a process that we go through. Being set apart through our salvation is found in Hebrews 10.10. But then there's also a daily process that we go through. We read about in Philippians 2.12-13. through 13, Where it talks about us working out our faith daily. Walking, working out our faith in our lives. As we refine ourselves spiritually to become more like him. And when we're spiritually healthy. We are in that mode of becoming more and more like Christ. And we're constantly aware of the things that God's doing and pointing out to us in our pursuit of holiness. This study in Acts chapter 5 is a very difficult reminder for all of us as believers that sometimes we can look good on the outside, but our insides are all twisted up. And on the inside, we can be rather far from the Lord. And we know God's standard is holiness. God's standard is righteousness. And his standard is, is a very difficult one for us to achieve here on earth because of the sin that's in our lives. But that is the standard. And, you know, we understand tolerances and standards in our lives. You know, I was reading about um, Lexus automobiles have a standard for how far the gaps can be in their panels, on their fenders and the front end. It's only a couple of millimeters. And if the gaps are any further, the car goes back because they all have to be adjusted. You know, the human body can only tolerate so much uh, low blood sugar at a st because after that happens, bad things start to happen to the human body. There's a tolerance level that you can't go below. The USDA has standards and tolerances for different foods that we eat. I found a lot of very terrible things, but I'll only share one with you. And that is the USDA standards and tolerance permits 15 fruit fly eggs per 100 grams of tomato sauce. So you're allowed to have 15 fruit fly eggs. My standard is zero. I don't want any of those things in tomato sauce, okay? But they say you're allowed to have 15. So what is the tolerance for sin? Does God overlook some things? Does he overlook that little 15%? Does he just shrug and say, hey, you know, these humans, they have sin. What can I do about it? No, God never lowers his standards. His standard is holiness, and we need to constantly pursue holiness in our lives because that's the bar that God has set for us. And you know, in this lifetime, in this sinful body that I live in, the sinful body that you live in, we will never quite achieve that, but that has already been achieved through the work of Christ on the cross. We are already sanctified. We are already uh, made pure and holy in his eyes as he looks at us through the blood of Christ once we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we see this standard that was set all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus under Levitical law. In Leviticus 20, 26, it says, You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. See, all the way back in the Old Testament, God is using these words again, set apart. You are to be set apart to be different from my holy work. So we have this problem that there's this standard, this holiness bar that's set by God that has no finish line here on earth. And our pursuit of holiness will continue through our entire lives. So what do we do with that? 
You know, we know that as we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are covered and we're made blameless in the eyes of God. But at the same time, we have this sin problem in our lives. Colossians 1, says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. So there's this dilemma of what do we do with sin in our lives. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it becomes a real challenge for us as believers to stay spiritually healthy. And it becomes a real challenge for us as a body of believers and as a church family when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ to challenge them to also be holy before God and to be blameless and to deal with the sin that's in their lives. This becomes a real dilemma as we live our Christian lives. And the challenge for us as we pursue Christ and as we follow Christ and we want to stay spiritually healthy is we have to deal with this thing that constantly happens to us. The idea for this outline would be, does your inside match your outside? Do you just look good on the appearance? What's really going on in your heart, in your mind? And so what do we do with this? Do we just give up? Do we put on a show, tell everybody everything's fine? Or do we pursue truth in our lives and deal with the sin that's there in the way that God wants us to deal with it? And as we look at Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5 can be a real wake-up call and it can also be a very difficult passage to study because we see some of ourselves in these characters that we're going to read about. And my hope is as we read through Acts chapter 5 that you will have a time to examine your own heart and your own mind but also be willing to accept whatever God has for you tonight. So I'm going to ask you to bow with me in a word of prayer and then we're going to read through Acts chapter 5. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, my church family that are in this room, that are online with us, that are studying your word, that are studying scripture tonight. God, we know that when we study scripture, we learn new things about you. We learn more things about you. We learn how to be more in tune and in line with your spirit. God, as we read through Acts chapter 5, this can be a difficult passage to meditate on, to think about, because it gets right in our business. It gets right into those things that we want to ignore, we want to push aside. But God, I pray tonight that you would get right into our business, that you would get right into our hearts and minds and help us to realize that there are things in our lives that cannot be. And if we're going to pursue holiness, if we're going to pursue truth, if we're going to pursue righteousness, we have to deal with these things that are in our lives. So God, give us insight tonight as we read into your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles or your phone apps, open up to Acts chapter 5. We're just going to go through uh, 11 verses. We don't have time to get through the whole chapter. Um, this will be a familiar story as we read through it. Probably many of you have heard this, but follow along as I read. Acts 5, 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only a part of it and laid and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God." When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. 
and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and they wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young man came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Point number one in the outline is disciples of Jesus are susceptible to sin. As we see this story unfold, we see two characters, Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira decided to sell a piece of land. And they were going to take the proceeds from this and give it to the church or give it to the disciples to be used for the kingdom of God. The problem was they decided a conspiracy in their heart was to hold some of the money back that they could use for whatever they wanted, but they wanted to look good in front of everybody else. And we see this if we back up, there's a piece of the story that we need to just back up on, and that is before we get to Acts chapter 5, there's two verses at the end of Acts chapter 4 that we need to be aware of, be aware of as we read the story. Because what was happening at the end of Acts 4 is the church age was coming together and the believers were coming together and they were sharing all of their tangible goods, Scripture says, so that no one was in need. They were sharing food. They were sharing clothing. They were sharing money with one another so that everyone was well cared for. And we see in Acts 4, 36 through 37, it says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the, apostle, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the, at the apostles' feet. So we see at the end of chapter 4, there's a guy named Barnabas who sells this piece of land that he has and he takes all of the money and gives it to the disciples and says, use this for God's work. He holds nothing back. He doesn't keep anything for himself. And in contrast, we see very quickly here in verse 5 how Ananias and Sapphira get into trouble because they decide to hold a piece back. You know, and if you look through Acts uh, chapter 4, you'll even see in Acts 4.31, it says, the whole place shook because the Holy Spirit was upon them. God was doing a powerful movement in this time to start the early church age. The Holy Spirit is very evident as we see all these different acts and different things going on to the point where the whole place shakes as the Holy Spirit is doing this great movement. And here's this guy Barnabas who sacrifices and gives all this money to the Lord. But Ananias and Sapphira start a little conspiracy. It starts small in the heart. Because for whatever reason, they want to look good to the church age. They want to look good to everybody else. They want to look like they're sacrificing as much as Barnabas, as much as anybody else is sacrificing. And a deception gets started. In Acts 5, 1 through 3, one through three let's look at those verses a little closer. It says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with selling a piece of property. There's nothing wrong with even keeping the proceeds to yourself. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? 
to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. See, the problem isn't with the gift. The problem is with the heart. And Peter calls him out on it. He says, why has Satan filled your heart? You know, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But yet here we have a man who wants to look good doing an act. And Peter calls him out and says, why has Satan filled your heart? You're not doing this out of a heart for the Spirit. You are doing this out of a heart for yourself, out of a heart for the flesh, out of a heart filled with Satan. See, the conspiracy started in the heart long before all this took place. Somewhere along the line, though we don't have the backstory of Ananias and Sapphira, they left themselves open to sin. They left themselves open to some small thing in their life where sin was able to get a foothold, where sin was able to just creep in and start to divert their attention in the wrong direction. Years ago when I was doing some lifeguard training at America's Keswick, you've heard Marty talk about um, America's Keswick. They have a colony of mercy there for guys who are in recovery. Guys who may have suffered through addictions, through alcoholism, or may have suffered through drug addictions. And there was a guy in our class who had gone through the colony. His name was Lee. And I remember Lee because we all hated to rescue Lee. Lee sunk like a brick. The second he jumped in the pool, he would go all the way down to the bottom. And we knew if it was your turn to rescue Lee, you were going to have to swim down there and pull this guy off the bottom. Lee was a big guy too. But I remember talking to Lee in between stuff. And I remember Lee giving this little pep talk one time to all the people that were in the class. And he says, listen, we got to do the little things right. You might not want to swim an extra lap. You might not want to do the rescue one more time. But I've learned in my life that if you do the little things right, the big things will be easier to do. And when I was talking to Lee in between things and how he wound up there, he said to me, he said, you know, I never thought I'd end up here. I mean, me, I had to go through recovery. I was addicted to pain, to pain pills. I was addicted to drugs. And he says, you know what? It started small. I thought I could handle it. All these little things in my life I thought I could handle until it got totally out of control. Until I got to a place where I couldn't handle my family anymore. I couldn't see my kids anymore. I was not functioning the way that I was supposed to function as a dad, as a son, or as a member of society. And I certainly wasn't functioning the way that God intended me to function. But he said it all started small. It all started with the little things in life. And when we think about the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it started small with them somewhere. We don't know where it started small. But Jeremiah 17.9 reminds us, it says, The heart is deceitful about all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, I read that verse in Jeremiah so many times in life, whether it be uh, in the media or whether in movies or, or the message that we get over and over through different readings is, Follow your heart. Listen to your heart. How many times have you heard that? How many times have we heard that in music lyrics? Listen to your heart. Listen to what your heart says. Yet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Why would we follow that? That is our sin nature. See, a deceitful heart will not permit us to obey the commandments because it's too self-centered. It's too self-absorbed, narcissistic. Concerns only about life's activities instead of the kingdom. We can't follow our own heart because our heart can be desperately wicked. But wait a minute, what happened? I thought as followers of Jesus Christ, we were in this sanctification process of becoming more and more like Christ. So how is it 
that if we're in this process that we wind up so far away from the Lord. It's because of the sin that's in our lives. We can't go on sinning in ignorance. The Holy Spirit who descended in Acts chapter 2, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin. The Holy Spirit brings conviction so that we start to know when we become spiritually unhealthy by the things that we say. Maybe it's by the way that we lash out or maybe it's by that small conspiracy that starts in our hearts. See, disciples of Jesus are still susceptible to sin. Yes, the blood of Christ has covered all the sin that we will ever commit in our entire lives, but we're still susceptible to it. Romans 6, 1 through 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. For we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We can't. We have to be aware that even as disciples, we are susceptible to sin. That's point number one. Point number two is disciples of Jesus are accountable for the sin. So not only are we susceptible to sin in our lives, not only are we susceptible of making poor decisions and letting Satan have just the smallest foothold that leads to bigger things, we're also accountable for those things that we do in life. Acts 5, 3 through 6, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. When we talk about being accountable for our sin, we're talking about consequences. And when you look all through Scripture, especially when God is doing a new movement with His people, when He's leading them to a new place, God's judgment seems to be almost uh, twice what it was before as He is trying to get His people to move into a new direction. We see this especially in the Old Testament when Joshua finally takes over the children of Israel and He's leading them into the Promised Land and there's a series of battles. And what does God say? Don't take any of the spoils. And yet someone in his company steals something, takes something, hides it, a man named Achan. And as a result, Achan's sin is brought out for the entire body of the children of Israel, and he and his family are destroyed. It seems very harsh, doesn't it? How does a loving God strike a guy dead? How does a loving God strike a man and his wife dead because of the lie that they have in their lives? Why does he do that? You know, that's a, it's a hard, harsh reality sometimes of Scripture. A lot of people ask this question like, how can a loving God allow, good thing, or allow bad things to happen to people? And you know, when we look at all the attributes of God and what we know about the sovereignty of God, the one thing that we know for sure is God does not pre-program us to make all the right decisions. God does not pre-program us and demand that we love Him. God gives us free will and the ability to choose. Because when we choose to love God, it means a whole lot more than if we were programmed to love God. The choices that you and I get to make in life are the result of the free will that God gives us. He allows us to choose. It's the most loving thing that our Creator could do. 
Otherwise, he would just pre-program a bunch of robots to do whatever he says that they should do. No, God loves us so much that he allows us to have this ability to choose. And sometimes because of the sin nature, because of the fall of man all the way back in Genesis, we choose to do things that are against his kingdom. We choose to do things that are against his will. And we have to pay, suffer the consequences of those things. Sometimes our sin can lead to death. Sometimes our sin has much more uh, minor consequences but we are still accountable for the sin that's in our lives. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You know, there's an old saying. It says, The bill comes due. And uh, any of you who are in a home or have had bills in your life, you know what that means. That means at the end of the month, you're going to pay your electric bill or you're going to pay your gas bill. Unfortunately, you may have to pay a credit card bill, whatever that thing is. But the bill comes due. And the saying basically means that it's forthcoming. And whether it's a utility bill or some other bill, there is a requirement of you to settle that bill. And if you don't settle that bill there will be consequences that follow. Now, when we think about sin, Christ settled our bill. He paid the bill for us. But there's still a liability that we incur when we sin in our lives. And the liability is there may be consequences for us. There may be something that we suffer. As a kid, I always hated the verse Numbers 32, 23. It says, be sure your sin will find you out. I remember uh, someone in church telling me that when I was a kid. It said, be sure your sin will find you out. And it would always, my conscience would always get to me and say, yeah, this thing that I did, this thing that I said, someone's going to find out about it. I'm going to get in trouble for this. And it just brings you to confession. You know, we know that that is the job of the Holy Spirit, is to convict us of the sin that's in our lives. And this verse in Numbers reminds us that we are accountable for that sin. You know, and as, as a child, you get, you know, you do things that little kids do and you get a little punishment. As we get older, if you don't pay your utility bill, your lights are going to get turned out. If you don't pay the heat bill, you're not going to have heat in the wintertime. There are liabilities attached to us not settling our account. It's a wonderful thing to know that as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, that our account was settled by Jesus on the cross, that he covers the sin that's in our lives. But that doesn't mean that we can just go on sinning without consequence. Point number three is disciples are responsible to repent. This is what we are supposed to do to be accountable for our sin. In Acts 5, 7 through 10, it says, After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. When you look through these verses in 7 through 10, the one thing that you see in this is that Peter gives her a chance to repent. Peter gives her a chance to confess. He says, tell me, is this how much you sold the land for? That was her out. That was her way out to say, no, I lied. 
That's not what we did. It's different. But instead, she follows along with this conspiracy, this sin that's in our heart. The comfort for us is that God gives us a chance. He gives us a way out. He gives us a way to make things right. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful verse because it reminds us that God gave us a way out. He gave us a way to turn around that sin that's in our lives. He gave us a way to become spiritually healthy again. And it's through repentance that we do that by confessing those sins to the Lord. Sometimes people feel like they're too far or they've gone too far and now they don't know what to do. And I've talked to so many people like, you don't understand, I've done so many things wrong in my life. I just feel like it's, it's too far for me to turn around. I remember when I was uh, just graduated high school, I was about 19 years old, and a buddy of mine, uh, Chuck and I, were going to go visit some friends down at Liberty University. We were going to do the drive, and um, Chuck had worked the overnight shift at a convenience store. He said he was going to make us sandwiches, and in the morning, we would get an early jump. He'd drive for a little while, and then he'd sleep, and I'd drive the rest of the way. I, I think it's about six and a half hours to Liberty. Those of you who've been down there know that, but as I pick up Chuck in the morning, and we start to head down to Liberty, um, Chuck drove for a little while and then I took over driving and Chuck immediately fell asleep because he worked the night shift. Now many of you in this room are old enough to remember the fact that we didn't have phones a long time ago. There was no GPS. Um, you had a paper map if you were lucky. We didn't have a paper map. We had written things down on a piece of paper. Take this road, take that road. And as Chuck fell asleep after about an hour and a half you know, you feel pretty good in the beginning of a trip. You're driving, you know, cruise long, you got the radio going. And after about two hours, you start to really zone out on a trip. You're like, oh, when's this thing going to be over? Well, as I'm driving along and Chuck's asleep in the passenger seat, I have totally no idea where we're supposed to get off. I don't know where the exit is. I'm not even real sure where Liberty is. I didn't even know what town it was in. I just knew we were going there. And I felt bad for Chuck because he had just worked the night shift. So I kept thinking, well, I'll just go a little further. I'll just drive a little more. And it got to the point of ridiculousness where I knew I could no longer turn around in good conscience. I was just going to have to wake up my friend. So I woke up Chuck. And as I woke him up, a big sign came up that said, North Carolina, five miles. We had gone much, much further than we were supposed to go. Several hours past where we were supposed to go. And Chuck said, why didn't you wake me up sooner? And I said, I don't know. I felt like I had gone so far. I might as well finish this thing out and see where it goes. And I remember Chuck saying to me, I know where it goes. North Carolina, it's the wrong state. So we turned around and we had to backtrack over two hours back. That's how far out of the way we had gone and we got to our destination. But when I think about that story, people feel like that in life. They feel like, well, I've gone so far past where I'm supposed to be. Or I've done so many things in my life that, I don't know, I just feel like I can't turn around. I feel like God wouldn't accept me. I feel like God just has already turned his back on me. But it goes back to what I was saying earlier. God has given us as people free will to choose. We can choose to repent. We can choose to confess our sins. There's no stipulation in that verse that says, if you confess your sins, God might not accept your confession. No, God accepts us 
when we are sorry for our sins, the word repent actually means to turn around and go the opposite direction of where you're going. When we repent, when we show that we're responsible for our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A verse that's of great comfort is 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, Scripture reminds us that even though we're tempted in life, even though just like Ananias and Sapphira, there are things in life that tempt us that seem like it might be a good direction to go. God has always provided us with a way out, a way of escape. We don't have to fall prey to sin. We don't have to let sin into our lives. Scripture tells us our heart is desperately wicked and many times we'll pursue a sinful avenue. But because as believers we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we can be controlled by the Holy Spirit, we constantly need to repent of our sin, ask the Holy Spirit to indwell us so that we make the right choices in life and so that we don't wind up in a place that we want to be. In conclusion, you can't hide the intention of your heart from the Lord. In Psalm 44, 20 through 21, it says, If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. See, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we have answers for the spiritually unhealthy. And the answer is to repent, to be accountable for your sin, to get your heart, mind, and soul right with the Lord. There are so many things in this world that we live in that take us away from the Spirit of God, that get us wrapped up in things that don't matter. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we have sin in our lives. We're accountable for that sin. But God has, prov has provided us with a way out, a way to be reconciled with Him. See, the after effects of the Holy Spirit are incredibly helpful to us living in this church age because the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who counsels us and helps us with our witness. But we have to be willing to deal with those other things in life that we just cannot tolerate any longer. God's standard is holiness. What is your standard? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And sometimes when we look into your word, it's very harsh for us uh, as believers, as followers, God, because we do have sin in our lives. We have things that we're accountable for, things that we need to get right with you. And if you're going to use us for your kingdom, we have to get those things right. We thank you for our salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank you that those sins are bought and paid for through the blood of Christ. But God, we still have a pursuit of holiness that we need day by day in our lives. So God, I pray for everyone here, including myself. Our pursuit of holiness, God, is something that we need to take serious. And if there's things in our lives that don't need to be there, I pray that this would be the weekend that we would get those things off of our conscience, that we would get those things off of our mind and soul because we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and guide us and we confess those things to you so that we can repent and get right with you. And God, we give this to you in your name. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us. I'm going to ask you um, if you're here and you would like to get connected with a group or one of the ministries in the church, please drop by the info booth afterwards, which is straight through those doors. Otherwise, we're going to ask you to have fellowship outside in the courtyard or in the parking lot so we can free up the atrium after the service. God bless you guys. Have a great week.